0: From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of.
1: It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hello, and welcome to the best political talk show that you've never heard of. I am not Justin Russell. I am your guest host, Dan Lipner. Uh, And around the table this week, as most weeks, uh, f- former is it under or deputy secretary? Under, under secretary of commerce. I, I always wonder which is higher ranking, under or deputy.
2: It, under it, it uh, under is 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 below. But there are some agencies that don't have a deputy. Oh, so there okay. is a deputy secretary of commerce. I was the under secretary for international trade administration.
1: And that would be Alan Moore. Welcome, Alan Moore. Thank you. <laughs> and also joining us on the phone today is. The one-star Navy Admiral, retired. We know him as Admiral Ken Carradine. Grasshopper, welcome to the show.
0: Good to be here. Uh, the Seinfelds are waiting for me for cocktails here in del Vista. We need to wrap this up.
1: Outstanding. So you you, you <laughs> got to go after the Florida bird, which is, of course, as everyone knows, the early bird special. <laughs> and also joining us on the phone is former Huffington Post writer and author Rich Rabino. How are you doing, Rich? Fantabulous. Fantabulous is, uh, is actually what's the origin of Fantabulous? Is that also a uh, Seinfeld? I think it's a Rabinoism. A Rabinoism? Okay. <laughs> Rabinoism it is. Uh, with the Rabinoism and the, the history of politics and many things that are going on. Democrats and the 435 of them that seem to be running for president, (laughs) we have begun to line up some debates for the White House, at least on the Democratic side. Uh, The Democrats have broken their debates up into two nights. I believe the nights are – is it the 26th and 27th? 26th and 27th. 26th and 27th. Night one. Rich, do you want to give us a, a lineup of the night one or do you need me to run through them first? Uh, yeah, run through them. All right, we have Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, Cory yeah. Booker, Julian Castro, Tulsi Gabbard, who I still forgot was running, uh, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobuchar, Bill de Blasio, John Delaney, and Tim Ryan. That night of June 26, who's the biggest star and who is most likely to m- make a break from where they are in the polls to hopefully going up when they make their big splash? Rich, we'll start with you.
3: Yeah, a couple of things. Well, first of all, the person who will not be there and he actually cut a break is Joe Biden, because if Joe Biden were there, then Elizabeth Warren would have certainly utilized that time to go after him as say, that a liberal alternative and go after all of Joe Biden's. Um, I guess you could say, recreants to liberal orthodoxy, be it the crime bill, the war on drugs, the Iraq war, NAFTA. So he won't be there. Actually, that's I a, think that's a good to...
1: point. Let's just expand on that just for a brief second. The reason yep. he won't be there is because of the rules that they've broken out, because they specifically wanted to avoid having a adults table and kids table debate. So they actually broke up the front runners between the <laughs> yes. two debate nights.
3: Yeah, and which is what the Republicans had done last time. Is that they, if, you see if the candidates didn't meet maybe a certain threshold back in 2016, so you had someone like, you know, Governor Fitz, J- Jim Gilmore, the former governor of, of, uh, from Virginia, who literally got 11 votes in the Iowa caucuses, not 11 delegates, 11 votes. Um, <laughs> you know, you had him at the same debate table as some as someone like Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum, and then in the higher level debate, you had, you know, Donald Trump and you had, um, you had Marco Rubio, but it, it, it basically at the, at the beginning it differentiated who the candidates were, and a lot of people would look at the minor candidates and immediately associate them as minor candidates. So this time around, for example, in the first debate, I think that what you're going to see, first of all, that you're going to try to look for some candidate that has something distinct from it, what other people aren't offering. And the candidate I would look for, one, would be Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington, would be is trying to, I think, attract a younger crowd, millennials specifically, his flagship issue is climate change. He's the only per- candidate out there who's really made climate change his main issue for running for, for running for president. Uh, the other is actually Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii, and what Tulsi Gabbard has and none of the other candidates have this time around is she's really advocating against regime change. She's advocating for non-interventionist foreign policy. I can see a lot of her getting a lot of money potentially from past Ron Paul supporters, for whom foreign policy is the main issue. Ron Paul has actually been asked, the former congressman from Texas, who was also a non-interventionist who ran in 2008 and 2012, and he basically endorsed her, saying that she in, for the Democratic nomination, saying that she's by far the best candidate, so she could potentially get some support from kind of outside of the traditional Democratic norms. Um, in terms of the other candidates, it's just going to be a matter of it's going to be a matter of trying to find themselves and who they are and in terms of how they're all sort of a progressive alternative. Um, Elizabeth Warren, it's going to be, I have a plan, and she's going to tr- she has to make the case also that she's electable to a general election crowd. And I think part of the race she's going to be doing this is talking about how she was in 2016 and 2018, for example, she was campaigning around the country, and she was actually invited to places to campaign for candidates in places like West Virginia, which was Donald Trump's best state. I think she has to she has to take away this image everyone has of her as a Massachusetts liberal. She's going to say, "Look, I came from Oklahoma. I had three brothers who were in the military. Um, you know, I, I went through a commuter college. I began as a teacher." And she really has to differentiate herself from, I think, what You know, it's going to be sounds, very. Sounds easy like for you have her stump her. speech
1: down there. What's that? Sounds like you have Elizabeth Warren's stump speech down.
3: Well, I think that, that's, what I th- that's what I think she's going to try to present herself as. She's going to try to distance herself from Massachusetts, I think, as much as possible. And if you can even, even if it's a little bit of a southern twang she can bring into it, like John Edwards did, for example, I think that would definitely help her.
1: And Admiral Ken, I know you're a Bill de Blasio fan. I'm sure he's the person you're <laughs> looking at from, from the first debate. Uh, Ken, uh, what are your thoughts?
0: Well— so I, I think if there's anyone on that stage that has got Hillary Clinton kind of the negatives, it's probably probably Elizabeth Warren. And uh, I think that I, my hope is, uh, as Rich has said, she'll she'll talk about the fact that she's something a little different. That yep. she's got that she's got um, she's got something that that none of the other candidates have got, and that's. You know, to Rich's point, she's got a plan because you know, quite frankly, I haven't really heard that much coming out of anybody else except for maybe Swalwell, but nobody's listening to him anyway. Um, I think um, the the thing that I find interesting, and I, I I I saw I saw former senator from Pennsylvania, a real right wing guy. I'm Rick, Santorum. Rick Santorum. Rick Santorum. Rick Santorum. Throw credit, uh, throw props to uh, the uh, the chair of the Democratic Party for for arranging um, the, uh, the debates in the manner that he has. Uh, I think it's, it's a pretty balanced, two balanced plates, uh, uh, of, of candidates. Uh, I, I know that there's, there's a lot of interest down here into what, in what these people are going to say. Um, I, I'm, I think that this is going to be a, a pretty good presentation.
1: Well, Rick Santorum was one of the people who was, uh, supposedly cost greatly uh, for his presidential ambitions from the the, the two-tiered debates uh, last go-round, since he actually did have some signs of ground support, uh, but because he failed to one of the other criteria, he was actually uh, left out of the, the, the big debate stage until the very end, until others started to drop out. Uh, but that said, Alan Moore, who, who, are, who are you picking to make news on this first
2: debate? Well, um, all eyes are on. On Warren, it's interesting. This the so-called balanced deal, has her the only top five current candidate being in this one debate, and the other, the, the 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 other four are all in the next night's debate. And I know we'll get to that in a minute. So she's got an opportunity to. She's she's got a big advantage at the beginning. Having said that. We'll see what other people do. Nobody's mentioned Cory Booker. It could be a big really, disadvantage being the it, only target. It, it 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 Cory Booker is has has not developed any any significant traction. He he's he's got plenty of work to do, but there may be an opportunity here. And Beto o- O'Rourke is the other. His his after after all the talk and national attention and fundraising and his. Uh, much closer than expected loss uh, to the most unpopular man in the U.S. Senate, mm. uh, Senator Cruz uh, from Texas. Um, he uh, he's not he's, he's raised some money. He's done a lot of kind of oddball things to call attention to himself, uh, but by and large, so far his uh, his efforts have been kind of a thud. And uh, here's his chance. Uh, he's 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 working to redefine. I always love that when I hear that uh, about him or anybody else because it just means wow, redefinition of somebody who's uh, in his 40s. Um, uh, he must have done something wrong recently that he needs to be redefined, and and he clearly hasn't done much right. And and then I think as as Dan points out, there are some other names here that aren't well known, and here's their chance um, uh, to uh, to get. Get some visibility. Uh, people are not going to be watching this debate uh, uh, in in huge numbers, um, but 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 newspaper and media uh, newspeople will be watching, and they will be <laughs> they will be interpreting and they will uh, it for us. And then there will be an effort to find sound bites uh, that that will either help or harm, and we'll see what uh, what the uh, what what the late night shows do. With uh, with uh, the flubs uh, that may that may pop up and that may do damage to somebody who's not yet defined, and if they if they they mess up, I mean, there's a great there's a chance here with all these unknowns, largely unknowns, uh, for somebody to have a breakout moment. I couldn't begin to predict who that might be.
1: So, uh, two principal questions from this panel of folks. Uh, one is a general curiosity. I'm going to throw out to everyone. Uh, Regarding Elizabeth Warren, that some people are referring to her as unlikable, including, uh, I believe, Admiral Ken mentioned it uh, on this go-around. Um, that's not my take on her, and I'm, I've genuinely been confused on why people uh, consider Elizabeth Warren uh, unlikable. More specifically, I've only heard men talk about Elizabeth Warren being not likable, so I'm wondering if that's in play. The other question is related to Beto O'Rourke. Uh, he jumped into the race. He got made a lot of noise, the big splash. But is he potentially the Scott Walker of this presidential cycle? And I mean Scott Walker in the sense that uh, people were really looking at this person to make noise when they ran for president, but the more people saw him, the less they liked him. Uh, so uh, Beto O'Rourke's uh, poll numbers have been going consistently down, and his – uh, his supporters seem to have been going to other places. So I'm going to put, leave this as a jump ball to the group uh, on either Beto or Elizabeth Warren uh, and her likability factor. What?
0: I'll take the Elizabeth Warren question.
1: Admiral Ken, go.
0: So, so uh, I, you know, I, I think it needs to be said, you know, because of the comments that I've made on this call, I mean, on, on this show and, and others, that I, I am I'm a Republican. I've been a Republican, you know, since I was 20, uh, 20 years old. Um, and um, and I take great, uh, you know, umbrage at the the at the uh, at the person and policies of Donald Trump because I think it's the most anti-republican thing I've seen in, in my in my life. That said, um, you know, I I will try and express the opinion or the feelings of the people around which I I I live and and listen to, and and these are not my. Judgments, these are the ones that I've heard them say. Um, one, they think that she is shrill, and I realize that that is a pejorative that, that uh, sexists use toward women. Not words that I would use, but I'm, I'm going to communicate on their behalf. Um, they think that she, she has a manner that, uh, that is abrasive that makes it difficult to, uh, for, for, for uh, one to, to hear her point. And they, they basically tune her out and, and, uh, and don't listen to anything else uh, that she has to say. Uh, I think that Elizabeth Warren, without a doubt, is probably one of the smartest people running for office right now. But I think that to ignore those negatives, to ignore that she she causes that kind of uh, visceral reaction on the part of people that I think she would want to have vote for her if she could, I, is something that that cannot be ignored. Okay. Yeah, I yep.
3: um, I would think a lot of that actually goes back. At least when she first, well, she, when she first really was put on the national scene, I mean, after Obama had nominated her to, to service in the Financial Services Bureau, but she didn't get, she didn't go, she not couldn't get confirmed. We withdrew her.
1: And then when she so she runs for she Senate even got a I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, I was saying I don't think she even got a hearing.
3: No, no, she didn't get a hearing. But then she, so she's going to run. So she runs for Senate in two, against Scott Brown in Massachusetts, and I think part of it was the way Scott Brown's campaign defined her in 2012. Remember, I mean, most people don't know, didn't necessarily know who she was, knew there was this person that was coming that was going to run for office in Massachusetts. And he, for one thing, he would continue to call her Professor Warren, which immediately, I think, brings up all the stereotypes of an elitist Harvard professor, someone who thinks they know better than other people. And think that's kind of, that can be condescending toward others. And then Elizabeth Warren runs a very populist campaign. And then the Scott Brown campaign points out, for example, that while she's talking about alleviating student debt, she took $300,000 from Harvard to teach one course in bankruptcy law. And then, of course, the whole thing came out about how, at least from the Scott Brown campaign's perspective on it, how she had pretended in order to get – and we now know that she, going back as far as 1986, she had identified herself as Native American. And as a result, a lot, at least here in Massachusetts, a lot of the conservative talk shows – Uh, For example, the Howie Carr show, which is kind of the tribune of conservative thought in Massachusetts, and there is conservative thought in Massachusetts, um, just berates her just about every day, and it's not necessarily because of her policies, it's because of their views of her hypocrisy. Um, part of it is they'll say that you know she's somebody who has supported um, affirmative action, for example. But then when but then when it came to you know when it came to trying to trying to benefit her career, she used you know what she, what were what were very um, vague Native American ties to become a professor at Harvard, and the fact that you know she was the only non-Ivy League professor there. So I think the shrill <laughs> is part of it certainly, and I think that I just think that it, I think that was what really kind of defined her, and I think also just the idea of a Massachusetts liberal. Woman um, from a national stage. There are certainly folks in Ohio and Wisconsin who look at a Massachusetts liberal and they immediately think of somebody like you know of, of, of somehow of a radical of a professor. Just like just like Nancy Pelosi, could never will never. I don't think Nancy Pelosi would ever have been a, a viable presidential candidate simply because she represents San Francisco and because she has that San Francisco liberal label. Um, it's very hard for her to get away from that. Now, in Elizabeth Warren's case, if she can present herself as more of an Oklahoman who kind of came to Massachusetts, I think that would certainly help her. But there are a lot of people who have already made up their mind. You know, this isn't John Hinkalooper or people are kind of like, eh, who's that? Elizabeth Warren, either you, either you really like her or you really don't like
4: her.
2: Uh, Alan Moore. So I, I've got I've got a, 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 a you are talking about whether it's just men uh, uh, who who don't like Elizabeth Warren. Um, uh, I know of one uh, one one person whose views I respect, who was was never enamored of Elizabeth Warren. It, 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 it she she was a Hillary Clinton supporter, but she saw her weaknesses. She felt that it, that Elizabeth Warren might have some of the same weaknesses. All of the Native America stuff, the president's ridicule, calling her Pocahontas, and so on mm-hmm. um heard the the genetic test that she unfortunately for her for her sake took and and then tried to 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 use to to argue her case and and harmed it. having said that, this friend listened yesterday to Elizabeth Warren at the poor People campaign and was came away impressed she's uh, the the view was I saw a side of her that maybe I hadn't looked very closely at, but she she's smart. She was thoughtful. She was substantive. Um, you know, her, her the, the the tagline for her is name an issue and she'll say, "I have a plan for that." Um, Hillary Clinton was like that, but Elizabeth Warren ha- has at least apparently a smidgen of sense of humor about it, and then a lot of knowledge. So. It, it'll it'll be interesting as we move forward now she should shine tomorrow uh, although as as we say if she's the if she's the best known person, can she can she only be harmed by being being uh, attacked or contrasted with a bunch of people who who we don't know you know the real test is going to be down the road when she's on the same stage with the other front runners um and anybody else who may uh who who, who may pop up um uh it, it remains to be seen now you also asked about about beto um he's a mystery now um he <laughs> He he goes to the dentist and and live streams it. <laughs> he 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 wanders the west. He makes comments about his wife and be, being you know how how indebted he is to her for for being the primary uh, uh, parent. And then he wanders the desert in search of himself. Um, this guy who's fortunate enough to have enough money that he doesn't have to work, but but kind of leaves his wife and their three young children behind. Um, he's apologized for all of that. Yeah, but he I'm, got nailed for the indebted uh, to his wife. Well, I'm wondering if he's apologized to her for his, for his absenteeism. Um, it's one thing to sort of talk about it, but how about... Doing it is he is, is he more involved uh, as as we've noted? Is he on hiking this,
1: the Appalachian Trail uh,
2: on this program? <laughs> uh, you know, on this program before he he was in that he was a member of the House of Representatives and left no discernible footprints uh, for I think his three terms there. Um, so so you know we'll uh, he's he's. Grasping here, um, he obviously took off two years ago in, in in surprising ways, and people expected more of him now. I guess it shows there's a, at least a potential upside, but 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 everything has been uh, on a downward uh, trajectory for him, um, I mean, and is, uh, is, this is a, you know the, these debates are going to be the few chances to to right that ship.
1: I mean, Admiral Ken and Rich, is, is uh, Beto just showing that uh, he was as successful as he was because of exactly how much everyone hated Ted Cruz? Or is the more people learn about Beto, the less impressed by him they are? Or both.
3: Uh, do you want to go first? Admiral yeah, Ken? Go ahead, Rich. Right. Okay. I think that—no, I don't. I think that he actually ran a very impressive campaign. He went to all 254 counties of Texas— you know, he wasn't campaigning as – by the way, he wasn't – this is somebody who was not campaigning as someone like, say, when Lloyd Benson was a Democratic senator. Part of the reason he got elected is he was a conservative. Uh, Beto work went to places like Midland. He went to the Texas Panhandle. He went to Amarillo. He went to some of the most conservative parts of the country. I mean, these are parts that go, went 77% for Trump. And he went to these places, and he espoused a relatively liberal message. He didn't disavow his liberalism. He didn't disavow his progressivism. He gave a very inclusive message. Um, He brought talk a message about bringing blacks and whites, poor blacks, poor whites together. It was a message that I think enthralled both people on the left because they figured this is the guy that's running in the state of Texas that hasn't gone for a Democrat presidential candidate since Carter in 1976 a state where Hillary Clinton lost by 9 points and you know he came within 2.9 points of actually of actually beating Ted Cruz. Yes, Ted Cruz is unpopular nationally, but Beto O'Rourke had a very uplifting message um, he would bring up foreign policy, for example, and he would say we need to t- we need to take our troops home from Yemen. We need to take our troops home from all these other places, or we need to take our host troops home from rather from Afghanistan, from all these other places. And he galvanized both young people, while at the same time being able to bring con- you know you could you could go to places, people that had gun racks in their houses that lived on lived on ranches that for some reason liked this liked this guy better. Or work. And the other thing he did, that is, he, him and Bill Hurd, who were the best, who were his friend from the house is they they took a tour and they went from their congressional districts, which bordered se- each other in Texas, and they drove to Washington, and they live streamed the whole thing to show bipartisanship and Newt Gingrich called in and talked about what a great job he had done on this, so I think that you know he 's very creative, very innovative. Um, his problem is he probably peaked too soon by running for the Senate race. I think the better scenario for him as opposed to running for president would probably either be. I don't think it would be to run for against John Cornyn in 2020 because I think John Cornyn is at least somewhat popular, and I think if he loses two Senate races in a row, his political career is probably done. But in 2022, the governorship is going to be up. Greg Abbott probably, won't, probably will not go for a third term. Um, And if he runs for governor of Texas, that would probably be a better springboard for him to either become vice president or president. And the other issue, frankly, is, you know, when Better Work ran, he was the only candidate. so That's why he galvanized so many people. But with 24 other people running, it's very hard to distinguish somebody who served on the El Paso City Council, then served three, I guess, uninspiring terms in terms of legislatively in the House of Representatives to say that, you know, I'm better than someone that, for example, has been in the United States Senate for forty-two years, simply because of it, because I'm more charismatic.
1: Well, I think the real so answer would, is uh, uh, John Delaney is going to be the person who breaks. But uh, before <laughs> we go too too far d- down this hole, because uh, we're about to go to a break, uh, let's give everyone a chance to think about everyone that's in night number two uh, of the debates: uh, Marianne Williamson, John Hickenlooper, Andrew Yang, Pete Buttigieg, Joseph R. Biden's, Bernie Sanders. Kamala Harris, Kirsten uh, Gillibrand, Michael Bennett, and Eric Swalwell. That's everyone who's in night number two on June 27th. As we head into the break, just want everyone to think about uh, who's really the person who's going to break in that second night's debate uh, with the not-quite-adults table, but uh, more the big fish at, at play. And we'll be right back.
4: How come you do?
0: From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics
1: with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And welcome back, everyone. As you probably already guessed, I am not Justin Russell. I am your guest host, Dan Lipner. And our next segment is the debate number two on June 27th. Uh, Admiral Ken, I'm going to start right with you. Of the uh, 10 Democrats that are going to be on the stage on the 27th, who's going to be the uh, biggest winner, the person to to watch, and who's going to be the person who's going to make some distance? And last but not least, who's got the most to lose, and who do you expect to fail on that second night?
0: So I think Joe Biden's got the most to lose, but I think he'll do well. Uh, He's been there before. Um, i think there's an expectation that since he's been to the game before
1: he's never been a front runner in the game sorry he's never been a front runner during the, any of the games no but
0: he but he's been to the game before and uh so i think you know it's it's like going to a golf tournament with somebody who's never played before versus someone who's done a, t- a bunch of tournaments whether they've won or not they at least know what it feels like um i think the guy to watch um the media uh, just go bananas over is going to be Mayor Pete because I think, as well as he's doing in the polls, there's still just a lot of people who don't know him who not listen to him uh he 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 has routinely presented himself as a intelligent rational well spoken uh, bright guy with a tremendous amount of uh, amount of uh, a runway in front of him um I'm 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 personally, you know, looking to see how well he does in comparison to, uh, uh, to to Vice President Biden. I think those will be the two guys you really need to pay attention to.
1: Well, I would push back on on the uh, folks who who uh, can t- surprise you every now and again. Since you are a golfer, John Daly, I believe, showed up out of no place uh, to end up winning the U.S. Open one year, if I'm not mistaken. PGA. Oh, the PGA. Uh, Alan Moore, who 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 do you think is going to be the biggest winner, biggest loser, and who's got the uh, the uh, most distance that they can make up?
2: Yeah, so I, I I I agree with Ken. I think Buttigieg is the guy that that has this potential because he's he's the one who has come out of the pack. Then you got Biden and uh, and and Bernie at the top. We don't want to leave. We don't want to leave your the the, the Democrats' favorite non Democrat. Uh, out of the conversation, um, uh, and and he and and, and Biden, you know, <laughs> the two old white guys. Um, uh, one, th- you know, the, there's all this talk about Biden and his vulnerability. It, it met, there was mentioned earlier of a couple of issues that 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 he was involved in, uh, that that he's been taken to task for a crime bill. Um, his 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 treatment. Uh, so the argument goes of Anita Hill when. When uh, during the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings now, uh, 27 years ago, uh, and 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 yet all of these issues that people want to pick on Joe Biden, there's one thing that nobody's really talking about Joe Biden uh, with regard to Joe Biden. And that is. What he's done lately for eight years, he was the much praised vice president uh, to. President Barack Obama. So uh, it, it, it's really interesting that people are going back you know, in his fair game 15 20 years. Um, I'm guessing that what we will be hearing from from Biden is a, you know a quick defense of it, to the extent he's subject to either questions or uh, or or attacks if you will from the others to say you know, that's a long story. It's worth discussing. I feel good about this or this. But what I really feel good about is and then he'll he'll flip to uh, what we what most people know him for, which was being the vice president uh, to 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 Barack Obama. And I don't see a lot of people either night attacking uh, the Obama administration the the former president and and therefore by extension uh, his his vice president and that's a massive advantage uh that 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 Joe Biden has never known and and of course he's never been the front runner uh before he's never been leading in poll after poll um he's he's had he's got a lot of experience at this game now he looks older he is older um he, it's again you got these two old white guys in their mid-late 70s, which is really getting up there. Um, uh, and then I don't mean to leave out Kamala Harris because she's the other one who's sort of like Buttigieg, is, is, is new and different and kind of in, intriguing. Um, uh, and and uh, so I think that's the, the group to watch. And then out of the rest, there'll always be a surprise. There'll be somebody who will say something, capture something. It, it, it could be clever. Uh, it, or they could screw up, but 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 uh, they could they could hit a point that resonates, um, uh, or they could just show some humanity that nobody has seen because nobody knows them.
1: Rich Rubino, uh, what are your thoughts? And also including the fact that uh, this first or this second night is also the night where we have two non-politicians involved with the debates, uh, being Marianne Williamson and uh, Andrew Yang. Uh,
3: yeah, but a non-politician could never be elected president. <laughs> it's never happened in america well wait i can think of one example now that you say it <laughs> um, actually you know the winners well maybe not the winners but who two three people could actually really have an advantage in this debate are seth moulton steve Bowick and, um, Wayne, and Wayne Mason, the governor, the mayor of Marymount, Florida, uh, the congressman from Massachusetts, Seth Moulton, and Montana Governor Steve Bullock, because the media is going to be in Florida all day long for both of these days. And all three of these candidates who did not make the qualifying 1% to get into the debate stage are going to be getting a litany of interviews all day long. They're just probably going to go through media row, be getting interviewed by just whatever, but now all of a sudden people are actually going to know who these three people are as opposed to them being in a debate where they're just going to probably be overshadowed by Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. So if they play their cards right, they could actually increase their name recognition. You know, I saw a poll of uh, Democratic voters, uh, Wayne Mason, who's actually a relatively good speaker if you listen to him, um, has 4% name recognition in the Democratic Party, 4%. That's going to increase as he can get a lot of interviews. Now, in terms of the people who are actually in the debate, if Joe, but when Joe Biden is probably going to be criticized for his vote for the crime bill, the, or not only his vote, the fact that he authored this crime bill in 1994, which is seen as you know, leading to max incarcerations, at least at the federal level. Um, Joe Biden is going to point to Bernie Sanders, I think, and say, Congressman Sanders, you voted for that piece of legislation, and that's probably going to make so that Sanders himself cannot bring that up against him. Now, of the candidates who are actually in the debate, I think watch John Hinkalooper specifically, because he's, he's got his own lane right now. Um, at this, at, there was a recent cattle call at the Democratic Party where he called out the party as not being, the, as not being social, uh, the socialistic party and actually started to raise some money on that. If every other candidate is trying to go to the left, mm-hmm. I think Kiko could potentially be appealing to candidates, specifically in open primary states, to people to say, look, I'm a Democrat, as he says, Donald Trump's the worst president in our history, but we're not going to win by, by by participating in socialistic principles. And if you look at polls... The plurality of Democrats do not specify themselves as necessarily being liberals, even though that's what you see in the net roots. you see certainly on the computer if you go into Facebook you see most it's mostly the activists, just like it is on the right wing, the people that are most ideological are the most active in politics. but I think that Hinkalooper is going to try to appeal to that solid center and also watch Andrew Yang because his idea of he's, in, he's a 44 year old venture um, entrepreneur that a lot of people had not heard of prior to this election, but he's talking about the idea of a universal Basic income, and it's an inc- it's an it's an issue that no other candidate has really talked about in this or in this race so far. That no candidate has, you know, he's basically put this race on the center stage right now. I mean, he's put this issue rather um, into the political theater. And I think a lot of people that have never heard of him or heard of it are going to be googling it right after, saying, you know, what is this? What's going on with this? And the other one to watch is uh, Eric Swalwell because. Eric Swalwell has a, has, a, has a problem at home right now. He said that perhaps if he doesn't make it into the second debate, he might withdraw from the race and seek re-election in California instead. Remember, he's only 38 years old. He's taking a huge gamble in this presidential race where he's at about 1% right now. So if he does not really have a defining moment, um, his flagship issue seems to be gun control. He's going to talk a lot about gun safety, I think, and he doesn't get into that second debate. Um, and he's probably out of this race, and you know, I know that it's really shocking for a lot of people to hear, but I think the folks in Vegas are not betting on Eric Swalwell winning the presidency.
1: (laughs) Well, so, a couple of things. Uh, You brought up the uh, universal um, income, or minimum income. Uh, It's not a new idea. Uh, Admittedly, it's in the history books from my perspective. George
3: McGovern proposed something similar, yeah. Uh,
1: And the the Nixon administration, actually, also, in their their own policy discussions, put actual consideration into this. So... uh, I don't know if anyone at the table wants, wants to talk about candidate. this at the presidential level. Is this a substantive idea? Is this a, a big idea that might go somewhere? Or is this going to be thrown into the nonsense pile uh, before the end of the night?
3: I think there are certain there are certain constituencies in the Democratic Party, specifically millennials that have a lot of college debt. They're looking for their first job. They're going to hear this, and they're going to say, wow, you know, I never thought about that. I'm not saying that he actually has a chance, but I think that he could potentially get up to 3 4% in the polls because, you know, Say what you will about him. He has one issue, and he's going around the country talking about that issue, and he's mainstreaming that issue. Um, you know, talked about Nixon had proposed something very similar in the 70s, and actually George McGovern in 1972 had basically proposed giving every he had basically proposed a very similar um, a very similar um, idea. And actually, Hubert Humphrey was running against him, landed up who was the former vice president, senator from Minnesota, landed up using it against him to say that he's too liberal for for the for the presidency, but. Um, to become the presidential nominee. But I think that what you're going to see now is like the reparations issue, for example. Um, Now every candidate is asked what their position is on reparations because of Andrew Yang being in this race. Now, all of a sudden, all these other candidates are going to say, what do you think of the universal basic income? What do you think? What do you think? And they think what he's done is he's mainstreamed the issue. It's like, what Bernie, it's like Bernie Sanders, I think. He mainstreamed socialism. Prior to Bernie <laughs> Sanders, very few Democrats would say they're democratic socialists. Now, John Hinkle, Luper speaks at a democratic rally. And he gets booed for saying that he's not a socialist. So, you know, this issue is now. I think he could, that could be the one contribution he could have to this debate is, and to the presidential campaign generally is he mainstreamed an issue that was seen as kind of a peripheral or fringe issue prior to his candidacy.
1: So, worth <laughs> worth noting, and I'll hand this over to Alan real quick. Uh, just as far as the top tier candidates, and uh, including Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and many of the other candidates linking this with this universal income, the that economics is actually one of the core issue, or economic issues and economic security is one of those core issues that seem to be percolating around the top of the Democratic field for those candidates, and this could be one of those things. And- could that be laying the tone for the entire race uh, that economics is really going to be what the narrative is going to be about more economic uh, security issues and less social issues? and that Andrew Yang is has one portion of that argument, Alan Moore. Well,
2: look, we, we, we saw this with, with, uh, with Bernie Sanders uh, before, and now uh, the, the others are trying to, to get in on this <laughs> on the bandwagon of let's offer free stuff. And, and I would argue
1: far more substantively from the other people. Bernie Sanders is perilously close to the free stuff. Other so, people have actually talked about how you pay for it.
2: Well, uh, uh, the 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 point is, and I was intrigued when uh, when or the thought struck me when we were talking about a, a universal basic income and how millennials might find it appealing. There's a whole other group that related to them who might find it appealing, and that is their parents who would like to get them out of the basement. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, I call it the basement free income. There you go. And I having said that, I think that, that 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 Rich makes a good point saying that if you if if you talk about that in a in a way that's that's are reasonably articulate, you could get a little bump, you know. And, and again, right now, we're just talking about getting a bump from the one percent to three or four percent. Um, yep. I don't think that's going to take off with regard to I mean economics is going to be and it always is um, uh, at the heart of campaigns this is one of the one of the unique <laughs> and somewhat confounding strengths of the president the economy continues Uh to do remarkably well, uh, contrary to the expectations and understanding of of, of many experts out there, uh, part of it is relative. Part of it is the U.S. is is a safe haven in a world of, of a lot of uh, uh, e- economic angst right now. But it but but the fact of the matter is um, the the numbers continue to work very well. The Democrats are trying to figure out how to how to how to how to, how to say it's not as good as you think and the and the blessings uh, if you will, are not shared, and there will be lots of talk about inequality and the need to uh uh to to uh, to spread uh, the good news and and there are a lot of different ways if you will to do that sorry
1: just uh, for a second, I thought we were at a revival when you talked about sharing the good news um so interesting on on the number of people who are running for president, we have a number of people from The same state. We have three New Yorkers, two folks from Colorado, uh, lots of folks. um, But we have mentioned one of the people running from Colorado, uh, the former governor, John Hickenlooper, uh, two-term successful governor. The other one, and I'm a Democrat and I can't answer this question, but I'm wondering if anyone else on the show can. Michael Bennett. Why is Michael Bennett running for president? And I swear I actually heard his announcement speech, and at the end of it, I still don't know why he's running for president.
2: Why are any of them running for president? That that is a fair
1: point. But that said, uh, Admiral Ken, what what your take on Michael Bennett's uh, presidential run? Who? (laughs) (laughs) I will take that as your answer. Rich Rubino, Michael Bennett's (laughs) presidential run.
3: Uh, I think he's extremely ambitious. Um, I think that he wants to make education specifically. He was the education commissioner. Um, in Colorado, and I think he wants to make that um, one of his signature issues. And, uh, but perhaps, you know, why, you ask why do a lot of these people run. Perhaps he's looking for something down the road. He's looking to um, increase his national name recognition. Perhaps he wants to be education secretary. That's why he keeps bringing it up, and that's really his flagship issue. Maybe he wants to be education secretary in a Democratic administration, or perhaps he's looking perhaps to develop some sort of a national constituency, maybe a leadership role in the United States Senate. But, you know, you can say that about a lot, but a lot of people you can say, you know, why is Steve Bullock running, for example, when he's so far down in the polls? Why is he spending so much time doing this? Maybe it's because he's trying to pre- he's trying to jockey so he can become agricultural secretary or energy secretary or, you know, why I get, you know, there's certainly there are other jobs that a lot of these people can potentially um, get out of this. And just the fact that you have former presidential candidate also, by the way, could be looking toward 2024 or 2028. Uh, now that he can get some name recognition, he can establish some fund-ra- a fundraising base. You know, he's been the chairman of the uh, Democratic senatorial campaign Penny, I guess. So, in the past, so he certainly he knows how, he knows how to win races, and he, I think he knows how to um, how to meet benefactors, that type of thing. So he, he could be looking for something in the future, or maybe perhaps he wants to run at some point for governor of Colorado, and he wants to get some national um, do, some national donors to help him in that, or something to that effect, or perhaps he's just. He just really thinks like anyone else that he's going to somehow – strike lightning in a bottle, you know, he's charismatic, he's young, and he thinks he can just, you know, wow him in the debates and be from a purple state, and somehow he can either become presidential candidate or perhaps even vice president, the vice presidential candidate. But it's interesting because the person who appointed him was John Hinklelooper, so it's kind of like the whole Jeb Bush-Marco Rubio rivalry, you know. Jeb Bush was seen as the mentor of Marco Rubio, then the two ran against each other, so it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how John Hinklelooper and Michael Bennett um, deal with each other because John Hinklelooper was always the one who was kind of the mentor, I think, toward Michael Bennett.
1: Well, what about the New Yorkers running for president? Uh, It seems to me that they only have uh, stuff to lose and less to gain. Uh, In the world of unlikable, I've always put Gillibrand for for myself in that category. Uh, But Bill de Blasio, uh, (laughs) the mayor of New York, the liberal mayor of New York City, Running for president um, seems to be a challenging task, to say the least, and not to mention uh, New York mayors do not exactly have the most success on the national stage. Uh, Alan Moore, any thoughts on the New Yorkers?
2: Well, when I made the comment before, when you were asking about Bennett, why does he run? I say, why do any of them run? and we then speculate, well, I think they're really looking for this, so they're really looking for that. There's there's an element of uh, that, that I've observed in a long time, and I spent 15 years working in the Senate, um, that, that, that over time these guys began to realize that the president, the vice president, members of the cabinet, some of the senior senators, they're not all, by and large, they're not all unbelievable towers of brilliance, um, uh, political genius. I mean, isn't The Blasio
1: six, six? And, and, and he's, so he's kind of
2: a tower. <laughs> so he, he 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 is, but I'm not talking about their their physical selves. Um, the the uh, 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 they they think well of themselves. A and B, they look around. And think less of some of the people around them, and, th- and and say to themselves, "Why does everybody love this one or that one, or how come nobody's paying attention to this person over here, who really is smart?" Bennett is a smart guy, as as as. Uh, as Rich mentioned, he was it was chairman of the the senatorial campaign committee in the Senate of the, for the Democrats. It's a thankless job, but it opens up uh, the world of candidacy, candidates, the whole country, fundraising. Uh, there's there's a lot to it, and you and you begin to realize, you know, I have more to bring here relative to others than I realize. So he and then he looks at other Senate candidates, and says, "Wait, me and." And Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris and then Biden until eight years ago, or ten, not ten years ago. It's like I I like the way I stack up against that group, um, and so I never question it. And and then they think, is there a downside? other than physical exhaustion and disappointment and nobody likes to lose, uh, might there be a silver lining here? And that's where the thought is, well, maybe I set myself up for a next time. Maybe I get on a ticket. Maybe there's another job um, increasing my visibility. Maybe there are other opportunities. So uh, they all go through a calculus of, of of sorts, none of which much of of which does not make sense to the outside observers like us, but makes imminent sense to them. Um, and sometimes it's just delusion. I don't think that's the case here but but uh, uh, we'll watch well, let's take that take that point. Is anyone in the in the field
1: either debate um, delusional on that front? and should the Democratic party, should Tom Perez have taken more steps to uh, widow the field? Uh, beyond or down beyond these uh, 20 people who are going to be in the debate? Are there too many people out there? Should the Democratic Party have said, listen, these are the top no, 10?
0: No, absolutely not. After after the trouble that you guys got into the last time with, you know, answers to test questions being handed out before the exam, no.
1: Absolutely I mean, not. I think the Marianne not Williamson the it, it deserves the, the same kind of weight as Bernie Sanders or uh, well, Joe biden or kamala you, you, you harris had, or christian Gillibrand,
0: you, you, you had to draw the line somewhere and i thought one percent was just as good as anything else if you can't get one percent then you know holy holy cow really go go, do something else
3: yeah i know it's ma you go back go back to the 1992 campaign and in turn just to, you had two candidates you had gene mccarthy the candidate who would you know the 1968 anti-vietnam war candidate was not was only allowed in one debate because he wasn't polling good enough he'd run again in two in 1992 and then you had Larry Agrin the mayor of Irvine, California. And neither of those two. Well, he actually got into one debate, and then he the another one. He actually showed up in the audience, but he actually only got into one debate. and Now this time around, you have a mayors of you know of a city of 102,000 people. I think it's great that you have this many people in the debate. The Democratic Party is supposed to be the quote-unquote. You know, it sounds cliche, but they're supposed to be the Democratic Party. And part of that is all you know. People have to see the candidates, and they have to winnow them out. And, you know, if, you, if it, there's always the possibility that there's somebody who's a minor candidate that, nobody's, that nobody is thinking of that all of a sudden they're going to take a liking to. The perfect example of that is Jimmy Carter. 1974, if you had had a debate of the top 35 candidates in 1974 polling, Jimmy Carter would not have shown up because there was a Harris poll that year of the top 35 Democratic candidates. You had Scoop Jackson, you had Fred Harris, you had potentially Hubert Humphrey, Gene McCarthy, George McGovern. Jimmy Carter literally did not even show up in that poll. He was at zero percent. So he so he goes out. He works. He participates in debates, democratic I'm in the peanut debates. Brigade. He, he goes. Yeah, he goes to. Oh, absolutely. He goes to Iowa. He um, introduces himself. He says, "I'm Jimmy Carter. I'm running for president." Sometimes he goes and he actually stays in supporters' rooms um, in supporters' houses rather. Rather. I've actually people met like several
1: of the people that had Jimmy Carter sleep on their couch. <laughs>
3: oh, wonderful! Um, and then once he comes to the Iowa caucuses, you know, there was uncommitted was first, and then there was Jimmy Carter second. Then comes New Hampshire. And all of a sudden, Jimmy Carter's ahead, and then the Democratic establishment doesn't know what to do. But just the fact that you know he did that because the Democratic Party gave him that access, and he was seen as a major candidate. But going getting back to Michael Bennett to say one quote that I think Harry Truman said, he said, "The first year I got to the Senate, I wondered how the hell I got here. The second year I was in the Senate, I wonder how the hell everyone else got here."
1: <laughs> so, all right, so it sounds like we have consensus that the, the Democratic Party yeah. shouldn't limit the number of people in the debate for now. Well, there the are question is that some, 50, some, There are actually 200. Some no, it point, did, we it have did to limit. It. It.
2: Okay, it, well, sorry. It, there are, there are the, the, uh, it did limit. There are some yes, incredible people who we mentioned. The right. governor of Montana couldn't get Steve in. Bullock, yeah. Well, um,
1: in which case, should Governor Bullock have made it instead of Marianne Williamson?
2: Well, only if you had different rules from the, from the get-go. You can't set the rules and, and then not like the result. So everybody knew what the rules uh, were. Well, I,
1: I, I would dare you to tell President Trump that. Uh, <laughs> 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 i that, intrigued that, th- you, th-
3: that you knew the people that stayed with uh, President Carter's house. That's, that's awesome.
1: That said, Marianne Williamson, what, what are her issues? What, what qualifies her to be on the stage other than just uh, crossing the line for support? Uh, does she actually have any th- kind of meaningful policies to bring to the table?
3: Uh, I think her main thing is reparations. And that's the issue that she's kind of has kind of galvanized her, but also just the fact that she's seen as a public figure and a celebrity. But this is someone who's also, by the way, ran for a congressional seat in California as an independent in 2014 and got about 14 percent of the vote. So, of course, if you can't lose if you can lose, if you lose a congressional seat in California, the um, you know, it's obvious that then, you know, why not run for president? Instead, I guess. Well, we but have, no, I mean, we he's have he's other, gonna get a lot uh, of visibility.
2: We have other losers who use that as their as their jumping off point.
1: Alan, you shouldn't talk about Ken that way. That's just not <laughs>
2: – sorry, Ken.
3: Well, William Jennings Bryant.
1: Yeah, William Jennings Bryant is – He lost the Senate seat in
3: 1894, and then he used that loss, and he went around the country talking about why the Democratic Party should become more um, liberal, should, support, should oppose the gold standard, and should, um, become, should support more government intervention in the economy by 1896. The, the you know the the silver order from Platt, 36 years old, gets the Democratic presidential nomination.
1: Well, well, going back in history to back when uh, Jesus was a Democrat in William Jennings Bryan's day. Uh, <laughs> th- that said, uh, l- looking at the panel, let's go with the religious. Is are uh, does anyone carry the religious flag from the Democratic Party for the people who are in the debate? Can't can't anyone appeal to the evangelicals? I think, Even though they're not necessarily based in Democratic Party,
2: I think I think that Mayor uh, Mayor Pete Pete Buttigieg is the, the, the one person who who can articulate the subject the, of religion. The, the gay in,
1: mayor from Indiana,
2: that's correct. Interesting. L- listen to him. No, no, I have listened to him. I'm just don't making that point. Label him. I mean, you're making that point, but you're avoiding. Uh, I, I, you're uh, avoiding the point of of the way that he talks about religion and its role in uh, in America I, today. Yep, he, he,
1: had a, he had a bit of a, a dust the, up with the, Mike Pence on that. The, uh, the,
0: evangelical, the evangelicals have sold their soul to the devil. I think the issue is not about Pete Buttigieg and his ability to talk to evangelicals. The fact that evangelicals are not listening—they're listening to Donald Trump.
2: I'm not talking I, about the evangelicals. I'm talking about believing well, uh, Christians. I, well,
0: uh, I know. I, I know. I. I, I was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, they would tell you that they're one and the same, but you know.
3: I guess it. W- I guess he would appeal to, re- to the religious left. As a, you know, certainly as opposed to, to the to the religious right, which I think most people ever since the begin ever since the Reagan administration, um, you know, I think the I think certainly Christian Christian conservatives have matriculated or become Republicans. But you know, go back to '76 and again, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter won the Democratic Party primaries in part because he, had, he was a born-again Christian, and he had a lot of supporters in the born-again Christian community. And in the general election, he had a lot of those evangelical preachers, like Pat Robertson, for example, who were actually supporting him um, in, that, in, that, in that election. So you know there is potentially, a lot, there is potentially an evangelical support for him. Um, the one thing I do think that this, one of his biggest problems has, has, and one of the biggest problems Bernie Sanders had last time, is trying to coalesce African-American support. One of part of the reason Hillary Clinton won, when it essentially became a two-person race after um, New Hampshire, is Hillary Clinton won 76% of the African-Americans' vote. So you wonder what Pete Buttigieg can potentially do in terms of African-American churches and potentially galvanizing some of those supporters by speaking in very religious tones. I mean, Jimmy Carter did it, Bill Clinton did it, and both did very well in the primaries with African-American voters, specifically African-American, uh, even African-American uh, Christians.
1: And that will need to be the last word for today. Uh, That said, first, I want to thank uh, Charlie in the Booth, our producer, Eric Thomas, uh, Alan Moore, Ken Carradine, and and Rich Rubino. And I am your guest host, Dan Lipner. Uh, We'll look forward to seeing you again on the show next week on the best political talk show you've never heard of. But hopefully you're talking about it to your friends. Uh, I am Dan Lipner, and this is Backroom Politics. Talk to you next week, folks.